All right. Welcome, folks. Welcome back to Larger, Freer, More Loving. Yo, yo. We, uh, last time, we had an unplanned episode on trying to encourage white folks out there to join black freedom struggles and the movement for black lives permanently. Not for the next couple weeks, but permanently. Yes. And now we're returning to what our first episode had initially been planned to be about, namely James Baldwin. And this isn't just stubborn adherence to an initial plan, which believe you me is an issue I have, uh, but this actually makes perfect sense for when and where we are right now. Last week was Juneteenth, and next week would have been the annual Pride March in New York City were it not for COVID. Uh, and given everything that Baldwin did for both black freedom struggles and queer freedom struggles, we thought this was a wonderful time to talk about Baldwin's life and work. Now, of course, as you talked about last time, Dwight, uh, our podcast title is also a reference to Baldwin's work in The Fire Next Time. Yeah. Uh, but in our reading list last time, and I don't know if people were paying attention to this, but if you look at our site on YouTube, we've got a reading list and a playlist to go with every episode. Hey. Uh, so yeah, in our reading list last time, you didn't include The Fire Next Time. Instead, you included Baldwin's Nobody Knows My Name. Uh, so I'm wondering, could you tell us a little bit about uh, why you did that? Yeah, you know, I am a big, um, yeah, we both are, but I'm a huge James Baldwin fan. I'm coming off the back of Malcolm X, who took over my life at like 24. Um, and uh, Baldwin has really shifted me for sure, has really shifted me. Um, and reading The Fire Next Time was actually the first text that I read by Baldwin. Mm -hmm. um, I read it um, and I dropped out of seminary after reading it um, and uh, ended up going to get a PhD in philosophy. Nice. Uh, uh, it changed my life, but it is very much focused on blackness and the church. Um, Nobody Knows My Name is really focused not just on blackness and the church, but it's focused on blackness in relationship to um, Europe. Also, um, it, it talks about the Nigritude movement. Um, there's just so much there um, that the fire next time doesn't have. Yeah. Uh, so the fire next time is really, I love it, uh, but it's really focused on the ways that uh, the church has been um, instrumental um, in the ways that blacks are also viewed in, this, in, in America. Yeah. Uh, and the fire next time really takes, I think, takes another step. Um, it really allows us to see outside of that Christian worldview into more of a secular worldview and a global worldview. Mm -hmm. um, he talks about Africans, he talks about Europeans, he talks about everything in that book. Um, and so I would always push that um, over, um, over the fire next time, over the fire next time, every time, every time. Um, and to be real, it's like we read this, you know, we're reading Baldwin, we're doing this podcast, we're doing these types of things. Um, and I know uh, if I was someone watching this, right, uh, just to be for straightforward, I would be like, Matt, you're some white guy, you know, living, a white, living in a white world. Yeah. Why are you drawn to these type of topics and issues? Like what pulls you in? Yeah, so, um... I gotta be honest, like that's an anxiety inducing question. <laughs> uh, but, but figuring out why that is the case, I think actually starts to answer the very question. Uh, and I think one of the reasons this is an anxiety inducing question for me is because honestly, there are so few white men who do care and even fewer white men who commit to this work. Mm. So, so part of my worry there is that, like, it genuinely scares me that people could ever see my answer to this as something that could be like generalizable. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but again, because there are so few white men who have committed to this work, um, there are so few white men that have done work on justice and oppression, yeah. uh, despite the fact that white men have been like the greatest perpetrators of oppression and roadblocks to justice. Um, that is itself right so but then there's sort of the other side of this like to be completely honest like I am naturally an asshole um, 
like I started out as big of a problem as any of these other white men that I want to uh, complain about. So I don't just worry about people generalizing, <laughs> but I worry about people generalizing from me in particular. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's sort of also because I could see that I was such a problem that sort of made me want to move in this direction in the first place. So I have a quick question. I have a quick yeah, question go ahead. a little bit. Um, so um, what allowed you then to like see the problem, do you think? Like what actually like apertured your eyes to being able to like not just, not just, um, Right, because maybe I'm making a distinction here, but there's a whole, there's a, there's a difference between knowing a thing and seeing it seems to be something that um, turns into something phenomenal, right? right? It's not just a thought, but it's actually movement towards where you can, where, movement towards empathy, where you can actually pull, um, pull towards change, right? There's an impetus towards change. Yeah, and similarly, I would, so I think that's all right. And similarly, I would say, so in a certain sense, once I cared, I became obsessed, but the question of why I started caring in the first place, I think is, is, is sort of the difficult one there. Um, but I think for me, um, it had a lot to do with my mom. Um, so, you know, I've been, I've been talking with my, uh, my friend and colleague and teacher, uh, Dr. Claudia Ford a lot lately about the way in which um, white supremacy is really perpetuated by lack of compassion and an inability to see others pain mm -hmm. um so i was thinking about this and like my mother has has more compassion than just about anybody i know and is more in tune with other people's pain than just about anybody i know and so that was that was huge for me um so i think there was this really personal part of it but i also think there was a really social part of it too because um you know, I, I am about as much of a child of the 90s as you could possibly be. And like, I was, I, I, I'm a child of 90s uh, music and sports in particular. Yep. Yep. Right? So my idols growing up were, you know, I, I mean, I was listening constantly to, I don't know, John Forte, Lauren Hill, Biggie, NWA, Tupac, Public Enemy. And then, you know, I was obsessed with sports and, um, uh, my heroes were Michael Jordan, Emmett Smith, and in particular Ken Griffey Jr. Yo, me too. My, I'm a Manners fan. Nice. Uh, yeah. so my my ESPN.com login is still Griffey Jr. Thirty. Right? <laughs> Yo. <laughs> so so I mean, for me, it was there was this feeling of like, you know, I am idolizing all of these black folks who represent the world and see the world and present themselves in these completely different ways than the media portrayals of, of black folks in America I get, right? And this, this started to mess me up a little bit in a good way. Like, so I remember uh, uh, Coolio's Gangsta's Paradise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm 23 now, but will I live to see 24 the way things is going? I don't know. That... When I heard that line, like the the honesty and everything built into that, like and the directness about the the situation that uh, Coolio was talking about as a black man, I mean, he, he's 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 talking about the school to prison pipeline, the prison industrial complex. Uh, I mean, he's he's talking about all of these things brilliantly in this song and getting me to think about these things that the white world I was living in was doing all it possibly could to make sure that I was not thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. Yo, this is, this is wild because what I'm seeing here is almost emerging, right, of this empathy and like, um, like, uh, like social, um, uh, I don't even know how to say it, like a change or a, or a um, like the social environment is like, you need you need to experience to some extent some type of environment that's outside of yours, but yes. with empathy, right? It's right. like mom's empathy, and then you experiencing um, rap, music, uh, sports. It's like these two things wed together, 
um, to then create this like perfect storm. Right. Uh, but you you could but you could watch you could listen to all that music you could do all the sports watching but if you don't have empathy for the position, then you're never gonna make it right. Um, right. And if you have all the empathy in the world but you have no understanding of the culture, you're not you're, you're misplaced too. Right. Um, so what so I'm saying is like this bridging, which is beautiful. Oh yeah. So I think that's exactly right, and I think that actually starts to get at sort of what went wrong. Right, because there's, so there's this question of like, okay, I had these really early influences pushing me in a good direction, but then I'm not gonna pretend I was not a huge, huge problem. Yeah. Right? The question is sort of what went wrong there. Yeah. And to be completely honest with you, um, I think this has got to do with uh, one of my, my favorite James Baldwin quotes, uh, where he says, uh, it's certain in any case that ignorance allied with power is mm. the most ferocious enemy justice can have. Mm. Mm. And I, around this time, I committed myself to an ignorant and powerful community. Yeah. And in my world, that ignorant, powerful community was the Catholic church in my community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, my family, so my mom's side of the family is Ukrainian Catholic. My dad's side of the family is Irish Catholic and French Catholic. I grew, up, I grew up in a completely Italian Catholic neighborhood. Like my world was Catholicism. And this is, this is not, I'm actually genuinely not trying to say something about Catholicism generally, but like the particular parish I was in was, was pretty fucked up to be completely honest. And, and so, so I, I sort of committed myself to a community that had lots of issues with ignorance and lots of issues with that ignorance combining with power in really problematic ways. Yeah. And, and I mean, so, so, so it's interesting then like, okay, so <laughs> what, then, what then pulled me away from that problematic community? And again, I think we can, we can uh, use some Baldwin here. Another one of my favorite Baldwin quotes is, um, uh, how does it go? I can't believe what you say because I see what you do. Mm, mm. Right. And this is, this is really what started to mess me up with, with the particular Catholic parish I was in. Because, you know, at a certain point I was like, I, I can't believe that y'all are against abortion because you believe in the sanctity of life. When I see you all being warmongers, so this was, so in particular, this really started to come, come to bear for me after September 11th, 2001. So everybody in my parish was, was completely on board with just attacking any, any place where there were Muslims in the world after this, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so it was just clear to me like, no, I'm sorry, you can't pretend that your pro-life position is about the sanctity of life when you're all about let's just let's just kill as many people as we possibly can to get some revenge because we're angry about shit. Right, and then so right now, so so yeah, I got lots to say here, and because it also it messed with me personally too. And, and again, uh, another another um, you know another another thing that was. You know, as I think about it now, Baldwin, I think, gives us a way to think about this. Uh, another Baldwin quote I love, hatred is always self-hatred. Yeah. There's something suicidal about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, this, was, this was relevant for me in ultimately my leaving the Catholic Church because um, uh, being in this Catholic Church, I was uh, in my particular, in my, again, in my particular parish, my particular parish was extremely homophobic. Yeah, yeah, extremely yeah. homophobic yeah, yeah. and I adopted that and screw that right and screw that right yeah. and I started to I started to adopt this significant homophobia despite the fact that uh, as I eventually started to admit to myself more and more um, I'm queer myself right yeah. so I could so seeing this way in which this this homophobia that I was presenting to the world was really about an uncomfortableness with my own same-sex, same-gender attractions um, that, that this started to make me realize that, again, this was not the approach I wanted to take. Yeah, yeah. No, I... I, 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 
I pull it somewhere away. You know, I've been uh, bi-curious in the past. Um, and um, yeah, 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 yeah. The church has never been um, loving to anyone, at least in the churches that I've been in, have never been loving uh, to people that were different in this way. Um, and not, and it's like, yeah, really not loving to people that are different in general. Um, and so you, going back to your, um, your uh, hatred quote, um, what it ends up doing is actually forcing you to hate yourself, right? Whether, whether, you're, uh, whether you're black, whether you're queer, um, no matter what it is, um, disabled, it's like there, there becomes, because um, there is this over-pervasive over, over hate um, in relationship to particular things, you begin to take that in and then you begin to hate your own self. Um, and self-hate, like Baldwin says, um, that there's something suicidal in it. And so then there's like depression, there's falling into this, there's falling into that. Um, and uh, part of the reason why we're bringing up Baldwin is because he lived in both of these spheres, right? Um, and he really pushes us uh, to live in a different way in those spheres, which is the name of this podcast, you know, larger, freer, and more loving. Um, right. And like, what does that mean? Doing exactly what you've done in the past um, to get rid of hatred or fear or whatever it might be towards different communities, right? Right, um, and this is one of the things, this is one of the things actually uh, from, from the fire next time that I think is brilliant about Baldwin's work when he talks about uh, when he became religious, uh, right? He talks about this in relation to, which is to say, this is when I became afraid. Yeah, 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 right? yeah, yeah. Talks yeah, about yeah. The between religion and fear yeah. here, and and I think I think all of this is really really connected here. Um, becoming less fearful is about becoming more attuned to pain. Is about becoming less interested in hatred, which is a becoming more comfortable with ourselves, which is all about becoming larger, freer, and more loving. Right. And that's all. Uh, I I um I um I I don't see a part of this message. Um, that someone like Jesus wouldn't get behind. Right. Uh, and I don't see a part of the message even that we talked about last week that Jesus wouldn't get behind. Uh, or we talked about uh, democracy, you know, um, um, uh, community, and why am I blanking out on the picture? Education. Education. Right. This seems like three things that Jesus would be about. You know, he walks in there with that bull whip, messes up economy. Right. Um, he clearly cares about his community. Right. Clearly. And he's always involved in educating them. That's what, uh, that's what the parables are. Right. Uh, and so for me, it's like these are all things that lead towards someone being larger, freer and more loving, um, which we are attempting. Like that's the ethos. Right. Of this podcast right. is to gear us towards is to push us towards. Um, and we say us because we're talking about ourselves and any listeners towards living a larger, freer, more loving life. Um, now, uh, what does it even mean to live a larger, freer, more loving life? Um, when we talk about larger, um, some of the things we've really talked about is accepting oneself more fully, right? Um, which means that you don't have to, um, you don't have to um, only fit in a, into a community, that you can, but that you can actually belong to a community as yourself, right? Um, oftentimes what we're doing uh, is shrinking ourselves, right? We're oftentimes shrinking ourselves to fit in. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, this podcast is not about shrinking yourself. Um, if you are different, like be different. Like we need your difference. Um, and we've talked about this in the past that difference leads um, to innovation. Um, if you don't have different ideas, different thoughts, different beings, different whatever, um, then you're not going to have that different epistemology that's coming in that's going to allow new things to arise. Um, you need diversity for innovation. Um, and this is even science, we can even talk about biology in that sense. Um, and then secondly, we, um, of course, move on to freer, right? And what we mean by freer is to live a life that steps beyond, steps beyond and frees one from the commodities of the West. That's why we came at democracy last week um, and allows people to engage parts of themselves 
um, that have been neglected because of democracy, because of commodification, because of the Western world. And this is again where, you know, we could point to Jesus, right? Um, what is the, the message of Jesus? Literally the message of Jesus is that the things of this world are not gonna satisfy you, right? You need more. And that's what we're trying to say is the freer part of this. It's more. It's outside of the sphere, outside of this um, matrix of um, being, to some extent, I hate to use the word controlled, but controlled um, by money, by economy. Right. And I think, I think that's, the, that's the, one of the most important points you're saying here, because I, I, I imagine people hearing this saying like, what do you mean more commodities goes with less freedom, right? Commodities, commodities are, are how I express my freedom. Freedom. Uh, uh, right, so, so, so yeah, recognizing the ways in which um, uh, both uh, uh, commodities and commodification actually restrict us, uh, I think is really, really, uh, really, really important here. You know, I think that's, that's like spot on, it really is. Um, and I think we oftentimes lie to ourselves, right? Um, that we think, I mean, this is, this is a beautiful lie, you know, of, of uh, 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 I think one of the most beautiful lies of, of capitalism is that you think the more you get, the freer you're gonna get. Um, but right, they've done multiple surveys on people. And once people get a certain amount of money, they actually become less happy. And the happiness meter actually continues to go down. Right. Um, you, there's actually a, like a, um, what is it, like a sweet spot which is like somewhere in between like less than 150, but over 70, it's something in there, um, according to where you're living. Um, but there's like a sweet spot for a household um, because of the types of things that if you're getting more uh, commodifications in your life, then you're going to actually end up having to deal with more stress and actually living up, right? You've got to then live up to the Jones, to the Smiths, um, if you've got less, then you're not even true. You're like, well, I can't live up to them anyways. Um, right. But in that attempt, once you have that, and this is why Kanye was what, uh, I don't know what he said, millions of dollars in debt, because he was attempting to live up, right? He was attempting to live up to these particular people, to what people said about him. And now he's saying to, uh, um, to uh, what's her name? Damn, um, what's her name? Kim. Oh, making fun of her about the the the, the, the pool that's a hot tub right and it's like because he's like we don't need this stuff like we don't need it um you can even see it what i'm really getting at is you can see a shift even in himself um about commodification um and lastly so we've talked about larger freer lastly more loving i gotta i gotta interrupt you here oh, right. jump in please so no i just i wanted to so what you said here reminded me of a couple of books i read together a few summers ago uh one is uh thomas piketty's uh capital in the 21st century and the other one is um uh kate pickett and richard wilkinson uh the spirit level why more equal societies almost always do better so these are two really interesting things to read together because basically what the Piketty book does is it shows that uh, inequality is an inevitable uh, 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 consequence of a capitalist society. Mm. Uh, have capitalism, it will inevitably lead to inequality. And what the spirit level, the, the Pickett and Wilkinson book does is it shows that unequal societies are considerably less happy, including the people at the very top. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So what's amazing here, again, is the people who are actually benefiting the most commodity-wise from yeah. capitalism are not at all benefiting in terms of their overall well-being. Yeah, inside. Capitalism. So, so this, this is intriguing, right? Um, because we also, and I don't know if I really want to get into this here, maybe we need to do another, like a quick, a quick, a quick cast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, about, you know, if we apply this also then to something like, um, to race, right? Um, then, uh, even this is how someone might then consider themselves, right? At, as not being quote unquote privileged as being, um, white in the world, right? Because um, they're like, oh, like even whether they know or not that they have this particular privilege, 
they feel, um, if they get it at all, they feel the fact that there's a tension between like white and black America. Um, and so their heart is hurting, right? right? They're hurting inside, even if they're flourishing externally, right? right. And there's still a hurt inside. And so you can either dive into that hurt, right? And work through it, which means like getting to know the black community, being empathetic, being this, being that. Um, or you can choose to be like, no, I don't want that and back off, right? Uh, and be and uh, and step it step into an uh, like a um, that binary that black white binary where you're like I'm not for this thing, um, but I would love to think more about that some other time. But um, I'm intrigued. Yeah, we we might uh, we might have to uh, talk about this on an episode with uh, again my friend Dr. Claudia Ford, uh, who she and I have been talking. Uh, a number of times recently about the ways in which um, white supremacy messes messes up with messes white people up as well. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I mean, part part of that is you know, white supremacy involves dehumanization, denigration of other people, um, and and that's you know, as much as I don't think of myself as a religious person anymore, like I can't imagine, I can't imagine something more damaging to one's soul than dehumanizing another human being. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. And I also think that this is something that um, James Baldwin writes on throughout his entire text. Right. Um, this idea that, um, America will um, never, never change until white people are able to peer inside of themselves um, and see not only themselves as, a pro as, as foundational to the problem, um, but also their history as foundational to the problem. Um, and um, all, uh, all, all, all it's, he's like pretty much, it seems like he wants to say that black people are just going to have to like, we're just like waiting around for them to get there, you know? Um, which is so sad. Uh, and if that doesn't explain some privilege, then I don't know what will. I don't right. um, you have to understand that we're all living within community. Um, and that's really what the third point of our title, larger, freer, more loving, the more loving part is really talking about being within community. To see and live at the interchange between oneself and community, because it is at this unity or interchange that loving oneself is loving the community and loving the community is loving oneself. Um, there is this um, exchange that takes place when you step in um, and you see that the only way that you can love others well is if you love yourself. And loving yourself means diving deep, right? And actually dealing with problems within yourself, but also those problems are always in relationship to the community. And so then how do I then like fix this problem myself in relationship to the community, which is also in the end, going to make the community better, but it's also gonna end up making you better too. Um, and so when we talk about larger, freer, and more loving, we're really talking about, and just a, a quick, quick words, the larger is about accepting um, difference, accepting yourself, um, belonging to community. The freer is about freeing yourself, stepping away, stepping beyond, right, um, commodification. Um, and the ways that the Western world has particular ideals. And when we talk about this uh, commodification, we're also talking about commodifications of race, commodification of beauty, of straightness, of able-bodiedness, of citizenship. We're talking about freeing ourselves from all of those and going beyond that. And then more loving, it's about this interchange between oneself and the community. And I think it is at this interchange where we really be able, where we're really able um, to make the most change. You know, that's why we talked about community last week, where it's like, you know, you put those, we've seen, I've seen videos for the last couple of weeks where people have these signs up and people are ripping them off their house, but you got people thinking in a way they never were before and they, in a way they never were before. So what you're doing is you're actually putting um, larger, freer, and more loving um, into action, right? You're actually putting it yeah. into action. Um, yeah, so, so I, I absolutely love that. I think that's brilliant. I wanna, I wanna take you to task on one word though. Yeah, say it. 
accepting. We are not trying to accept difference here. Yeah, yeah. True, true. We are encouraging and loving difference. Yeah, yeah, no. Right? Hey, you're right. You're right. And I think I think that that sort of connects up nicely with with some of the LGBTQ plus issues we want to talk about here too, because um, this is this is one of the things that has always um, so so in terms of outward activism. Um, uh, it was LGBTQ plus activism that I started with. Um, and part of this, part of this was about, um, the fact that this was, um, this was very close to home for me as, as, as somebody, uh, as an LGBTQ plus person myself. Um, but part of this was also, I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't understand the idea that anybody would not accept yeah. loving someone else like like no you should not only accept this like you should be stoked about the fact that there are people loving each other like yeah, 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 love yeah. is fucking awesome like yeah, how yeah. could you ever possibly be upset with somebody for loving somebody else who loves them back when there's consent yeah, yeah. right like it makes no sense it makes no sense it right. makes no sense yeah yeah feels just like power that's it right, right. It's like, um, I'm in control here. I know what's right. Um, I, 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 uh, so when I was in seminar, I used to say this all the time. Um, a lot of people in the, it, it seems to me that a lot of people in the church and different denominations are walking around saying, you know, I got the right key. And if you just follow me, then you'll get the right key. And then you'll be able to open that door and unlock those gates and get into heaven. All you've got to do is just follow me. Those Catholics, wrong key. Um, those whoever, wrong key. Those Orthodox, wrong key. Just come and get this reformed key and you're going to be great. You're going to get right in. It's going to, you're not even going to have to shimmy the lock. It's just going to slide right in. Boop. You're going to be in the heaven. And that is a lot like power. And I think that's the same way when it comes to loving other people that we do wrong is we want everyone to fit into a particular box, whether it's reformed, straight, able-bodied, non-native, uh, immigrant. It's like, we want them to fit into this box that is American. Um, and we don't, it's, that's such bull crap because the box that is American is so mixed. Like, it's like mind blowing. It's like, these people have such a view of what America should look like or what it does look like. And I'm so confused by it. I'm so confused by it. It makes no sense. Right. It makes no sense because it's just not how America looks. Right. At all. And so it and makes no should, sense. Right. And we should celebrate that. And we should that celebrate that. It should be a genuine celebration. I agree. And right. So so we are uh, again, uh, we're in in between some celebrations here, right? right? So we have Juneteenth celebration this past week. Celebrations coming up next week. Uh, and and you were gonna tell us a little bit about uh, Juneteenth and Pride here. Yeah, so when we talk about Juneteenth, um, really this comes down to the mid 1860s, right? Um, and so Abraham Lincoln uh, issues the Emancipation Proclamation in September of 1862, um, and multiple states do not implement the Emancipation Proclamation until 1865. Um, Texas was one of those states, um, and on June 19th, which is where we get Juneteenth of 1865, um, a, a, a Union general, of course, rides into Texas um, and announces the freedom of Blacks in Texas, right? Um, and so what we have here, Juneteenth is really um, about a, a, the liberty of, of Blacks in America, right? We've got the Independence Day that happens you know, a couple weeks after Juneteenth, um, but um, it's an ironic day um, because there's a lot of uh, people uh, that are a part of America that, are, that were not free, they didn't have independence. Um, and so what Juneteenth is, is really for, it is, it is a, to be serious, Black Liberation Day in America. Um, it is a day to celebrate in the same way that America has independence. It is uh, an, an independence for Black people in America in relationship to slavery. Um, and I don't know why anyone would not want to celebrate the day. Um, it's mind blowing to me. It's mind blowing to me. And of course, everyone knows that this month 
Um, even though we have Juneteenth in the middle of it, this month is known as Pride Month. Um, and where does, uh, where does this come from? Um, so in June, on June of 28th, um, 1969, we have the police attempting to raid the Stonewall Inn in New York, um, which was a safe haven for the LGBTQ plus community. And, of, and the queer community did it right. They fought back. Um, and of course, these things, have, these raids have been going on for decades, decades. Um, and finally, uh, the community said it was enough. Um, and this fight, which took days, actually started um, the queer revolution, right? Um, to, the, to such the extent that they actually took on terms uh, like, um, like gay power um, from the civil rights movement. Um, and from this, from, this, um, from this event, from this protest, um, from this fight, um, the following year, we actually have the first uh, Pride Parade being held right there in New York. Um, and uh, really, when I, think back, when I think back to this, some of the heroes that we have to you know, remember, um, of course, Marsha Johnson um, and Sylvia Rivera. Um, these are two people um, that were even in the queer community on the edges, right? Um, our trans mothers who have, it, it's like mind blowing. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, like, I'm, I'm actually getting goosebumps from it because it's like without, without, um, without people um, like Marsha and Sylvia, we would just not be here. Um, we would literally not be here, and even they were on the on the like edges of the community. Um, it's it's mind blowing. We just don't understand how much the people the people that are not normative actually have them like take oftentimes take the more high ground, right? right. They oftentimes push us to growth in a way that um, when we're just here, right? This is why the difference is important because we're just here. There's no innovation. But then we start pushing on that and those people on the edges are doing it. And it's like, that's when you become more loving. That's when you become freer. That's when you become larger. Um, and so these, uh, this month is just a, a for me, it's like a, a, a great celebration month. Um, it celebrates two, um, two communities in the US that have been fighting alongside each other for a long time. Um, and we're talking about a long time. We could go all the way back um, to the early 20th century. We could even, let's be serious, uh, I would probably say since the foundation of America, um, these, these, these groups have been fighting next to each other. Um, Matt, do you have anything to add? I know that was just straightforward. Um, well, no, I mean, I think you hit on the most important point there, which is um, we wanted to not just talk about Juneteenth and Pride, we wanted to talk about Juneteenth and Pride. Yeah, together, yeah, yeah. yeah. Together. Right? We, because, you know, we want to talk about how these histories have come into contact with one another yeah. and how they can aid each other and what roadblocks there are to that. Um, and yeah. I mean, this is one of the reasons we're talking about James Baldwin today, um, because his life and work were a testament to intersectional freedom struggles. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, Right, so, so I guess I would just add, and I think you really nicely started to touch on this, is one of the roadblocks to those intersectional freedom struggles is bad history. Yeah, right? yeah. And this, this goes back to one of the things we talked about last week, like uh, Eurocentric, whitewashed, androcentric, classist, ableist, elitist history is absolutely all around us. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so one of the things that I think it was important you touched on here um, is the fact that it was not just the Stonewall riot, which, which really set forth uh, uh, the gay rights movement, the LGBTQ plus rights movement. It was in particular uh, 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 black indigenous people of color uh, 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 people at, at Stonewall. And this is, this was, um, uh, this is unfortunately left out of the telling of this story a lot. Um, and I mean, this, this was not new either. So one of the other, um, one of the other well-known riots, uh, that was relevant to, to setting forth the LGBTQ plus, uh, uh, uh freedom movement, rights movement, um, happened three years earlier, uh, the Compton Cafeteria Riot in San Francisco in 1966, where again, uh, trans women, and in particular, uh, uh, trans women of color, uh, 
did a lot to stand up to their oppressors. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, like you said, this is this is nothing new. Um, one of the things one of the things I've uh, just recently discovered uh, in some work um, uh, where I was reading uh, uh, some work of a fellow by the name of Channing Gerard Joseph. So Channing Gerard Joseph is a journalist, an educator, a historian. Um, who has been doing work on the story of a fellow by the name of William Dorsey Swan. Uh, so William Dorsey Swan was uh, born a slave in the United States, but uh, is also the first known drag queen and LGBTQ plus activist in the United States. Uh, so so uh, 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 one of the things that, that comes out about William Dorsey Swan's story is, um, uh, uh, known as the queen um, held these uh, uh, extravagant drag balls that ultimately led to William Dorsey Swan uh, being arrested for, uh, uh, for, for doing these non-normative things at the time. Um, and actually William Dorsey Swan uh, appealed to President Grover Cleveland to try to uh, uh, have, that, um, uh, uh, have that conviction pardoned um, so this is this is the first time in United States history that people try to take legal action to speak up for their rights as LGBTQ plus individuals. And William Dorsey Swan is nowhere to be found in your standard histories of the LGBTQ plus movement. In the same way that um, uh, when we talk about the history of the civil rights black power movement, sort of the official histories, um, Bayard Rustin is not particularly high in people's lists here, right? So, so Bayard Rustin is, you know, absolutely huge to the civil rights movement, you know, uh, is one of the organizers for the 1963 March on Washington, um, actually is the person who uh, introduces nonviolence as a philosophy to Martin Luther King Jr. from his studies with uh, the Gandhian movement in India, uh, 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 excuse me, in India. Um, so, so Bayard Rustin is huge to the civil rights movement, but we don't hear a ton about him, largely because Bayard Rustin was a gay man, and that doesn't fit within uh, uh, the official history, we like it, right? And, and I mean, I think it's important to to understand the ways in which Black freedom struggles, the ways in which queer freedom struggles have, have worked together, um, because I think I think this forgetfulness, this erasure of that, is intentional. That's intentional, right? You you divide and conquer people that way. Yeah, 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 one hundred percent. And that being said, it's something that I feel like we're actually dealing with right now, um, with uh, our current state of affairs in relationship to Trump, right? Um, so uh, we talk about. Um, Trump and, de and divisiveness um, and the intentionality behind that. And so, you know, I'm going to ask you another question because, you know, you're, you're on a roll right now. <laughs> um, Trump, so, and intentionality. Um, what um, is he, ha so we understand that Trump just had his, had a, um, had one of his um, rallies right, um, on Juneteenth in Tulsa, right, and then we see his administrative, his administrative, he, he uh, passes an administrative rule, um, which Obama put up, right, um, that reverses uh, healthcare discrimination based on sexual orientation and preference. Um, on the day of uh, the anniversary of the Pulse shooting um, in Orlando, Florida, um, what the heck is happening? What ha what is happening? Do you think? Do you believe that these uh, that this movement by Trump on the so um, doing a Trump rally in Tulsa um, on Juneteenth, right? Um, also uh, on the anniversary of the Pulse shooting, reversing this healthcare discrimination uh, ruling at the same time same month, you know, uh, day, like weeks apart from each other. Is Trump doing this on purpose to be divisive? Um, what is, what, like, what's going on? What's going on? So I've got to say here, it seems completely intentional to me. 
and and I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna pull out my logic background here. <laughs> right. So so here what we've got is uh, I, I'm offering a particular abductive argument. I'm offering a particular inference to the best explanation. Right. So so you're basically saying here we've got these weird combination of facts that uh, Trump happens to uh, uh, schedule a rally in Tulsa, the site of one of the most violent race massacres in the history of the United States yeah. on yep. Juneteenth. On Juneteenth. On Juneteenth. He also rolls back protections, healthcare protections for LGBTQ plus individuals on the anniversary of the very same day that uh, uh, a number of L uh, 49 LGBTQ plus yeah. individuals yeah. were murdered. Lord. Right. So I'm saying what I'm saying is the best explanation for these particular facts is that Trump is intentionally trying to show his disrespect and denigration of particular communities. Right. And, and for me, then we say, OK, to test whether or not anything's a good explanation or whether or not anything's a good uh, abductive argument, we ask ourselves a number of questions does that, is that explanation simple, right? Is it as simple as possible, right? So yeah, it's one particular explanation that says all of, why all of these different things are going on is because Trump's trying to communicate something to people and he's trying to intentionally communicate something problematic. To people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we ask questions like, um, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> does it cohere well with background information we have on these things, right? So, right, does it fit within our overall picture of Trump that he yeah, 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 yeah. racist and homophobic things? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, yeah, it does, yes. right? So, I mean, I'd have a hard time coming up with a way to, to, um, to explain this in a more, you know, in a, in a more reasonable fashion than this is just Trump intentionally uh, trying to trying to put his foot down on communities that are already that are already down. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, what do you think? Am I am so? That's the Trump. No, I don't. I don't think so. This is this is what I like. The first question, because what you made me think of right away was. Is it even prop like what's the probability of like doing this rally on Juneteenth in Tulsa and like passing like rolling back this administrative rule on the anniversary of the uh, of the Pulse shooting? Like what's the probability of doing both of those things in the same month? Like and it seems like just like probability wise. It's just like why it's like a wild probability that you hit both of those dates. Like it's like there's a lot of dates in June that like don't have to do with like that black people. Like there's a lot of them, a, sh a crap ton of dates. There's a lot of dates, and it's like even that he did this in June at all. Like, but then yeah, point blank. Like he should have just been like, let's just be smart and not even touch anything like this in June. Right, uh, but that he even like pinpoints a date in June too. Um, to me, it's just like mine. It's like I just don't feel like it's very probable to like hit those two dates randomly. Um, and if it is, holy crap! No, this 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 mug is so lucky. Right. Like because he, <laughs> right. that's what he wants to do, which is be divisive. Right. It's like he is so randomly divisively lucky that it's mind blown. It's like, what did, like, did you literally, did, did hell open up and you, uh, I'm, not, I'm not coming for Trump right now, but did hell open up and you crawled out and like, you're just hitting all the things? Like, it's impressive. No, so I, I think, I think that's, that's a perfect point there. So, so, so yeah, so that makes me say, the interesting question here is not whether or not he's being intentionally divisive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The interesting question here is how exactly is he being intentionally divisive? Because you know, as as we were talking about this before we before we uh, got on here, um, one of the things that's really interesting about this to me is this seems something like a uh, a weird kind of almost reverse dog whistle, 
uh, right? So, so, so the, the dog whistle, right? So what you're supposed to be doing there is sort of communicating to people who are on your side in this really implicit way, right? You're sort of, you're, you're, you're saying the thing to the people who are on your side without saying it directly to those, to those other folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, here, I think he's actually doing something, um, I agree. Opposite, right? So he's he's actually saying something not in a way that gives him cover with the people who he clearly sees as his enemies. Those are the people he is sort of giving an implicit communication to. Yeah, 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 yeah. White folks in the United States usually don't have a fucking clue what Juneteenth is, as yeah. ridiculous as that could possibly be. They finally do this year. Right, they do this <laughs> year, right? And, and uh, people, people not in the LGBTQ plus community usually don't know things like the anniversary of the Pulse uh, uh, massacre. Yeah, I agree. So, so, so what I see him doing here is, again, not, not implicitly speaking to the people he sees on his side and giving himself cover with the people he sees as his enemies, he's actually doing the opposite in this case. Yeah, yeah, he's I, trying to intentionally, implicitly give this denigrating, dehumanizing message to the people he sees as his enemies while giving him cover with his supporters to say, oh no, I wouldn't do anything that, that completely fucked yeah, up, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, it's, this is, uh, this is, it's like, it is wild. It is wild. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. He, um, yeah, he intentionally is pushing, um, against particular peoples, uh, to then also to be like almost, it seems to me more divisive. Um, uh, he's like being more, he's like pushing against particular peoples and then it's leading his base to even be more divisive. Um, instead of just like, it's like, if you've got self-love and you're just loving yourself, that's a whole nother thing. You can like love yourself without hating another person, right? Um, but then when you're like hating another person, um, and then you're making your love and like loving of yourself in relationship to that. I think that's when things become very dis di divisive. Um, and that's when you have a fight. Um, and I think that's where, you know, Trump is growing and that's where we're existing today. Um, and I don't think people understand how, uh, heavy this really is and how much people are hurting. You know, I, um, I, uh, I taught in Orlando um, and one of my students uh, was at Pulse at night. Yeah. Um, and it was um, mind blowing. He came to class one time, couldn't come to class again. He was terrified every time he walked into the classroom um, that someone was going to walk through that door and start shooting. Right. Um, and this is what now hundreds of LGBTQ plus uh, members of the community are now in their head in Orlando are thinking. And so you've actually suppressed people's ability to actually live, right? Um, so sad. I, um, yeah, I didn't know how to, um, yeah, I did what I could do, but uh, it's, it's such a broken space to be in. Um, and it's like, we, that is never needed. Like a space like that is never needed. Um, it's like never, it should never, like it should never happen. Right. Um, and it's so, happening. So yeah, I've got a question for you then. So, so this makes me angry. This yeah. makes me really angry. Me too. So, so, so what's, what's the larger free or more loving response to this? So I think, um, you know, in the same way, that, and again, I'm going back to Jesus, you know, Baldwin does it all the time too. Um, in the same way that we would say something like um, Jesus had justified anger in the temple when he, when he, um, when he, um, when he, um, he actually tied that rope together, um, took the time, right? He didn't, he didn't already have a whip. He sat there and he's like, I'm coming to get y'all, right? Um, <laughs> and I think that there is uh, a righteous anger. There's a righteous, um, and at some point, uh, we've got to ask ourselves if we're going to turn into Jesus, right? Are we going to start using that whip, right? I think that is something that um, we're always told not to do, right? Nonviolence, nonviolence, never push back, never push back. Um, but it doesn't seem like Jesus was nonviolent. I'm so confused, right? 
Um, and the ethos of America is just Jesus' ethos, um, but it actually rejects um, a lot of who Jesus was. Um, and so for me, I think, um, I wanna say that if your back is up against the wall to a certain extent, that's when you have to pull out that whip at some point. Um, but I also want to caution people because um, you can't you, you can't pull out that whip until you've got a strong enough following, right? A big enough group of people that are also on your side. Um, you can't pull out that whip with ten people, right? Um, we need the working class to rise up, right? Um, we need uh, we need everyone that's making under a hundred thousand dollars to be like, yo, this ours right um and that i promise you if something like that happens you won't even need the whip right but what's going to happen is you get that in between right that in between group size and that's when you need a whip instead of it just being the community saying y'all got to stop this and we're forcing you to stop it like and we don't even need a whip we don't need nonviolence. we don't need any of it it's just like we're the people right we just <laughs> need each other and, yeah. and 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 in order for us to see how much we need each other and how much we have each other um for me i think a lot of that's about recognizing um we don't need the people in power no we don't we don't need politicians we don't need we don't need the ceos the cfos the ctos at all these corporations we don't need them yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. We need each other. Yeah, we do need each other. We do need each other. And in that space, we could actually, uh, whether, whether you want a CEO or not, we could prop up the person that is actually in the community, that's actually working for the business amongst the members in the business, right? Um, instead of being like, oh, like we just like, so I'm at University of Central Florida, and we just hired some random president um, now. Um, and we had three president, we had three people that they were looking at. One guy had to get cut because of fraud and all types of stuff. Then we were looking at two other people and then they just picked the third rando. And it's like, this guy doesn't connect. This guy's not connected to the community at all. He's not part of, he's not part of USF. He's not part of Orlando. He's just coming in and like applying his, uh, MBA and like emptiness, right? It's like you, there is something to say, at least I would say from a grassroots leader, one that's like, you know, this, this person was a professor, this person was a, uh, a janitor, and now, you know, this person is like the head janitor. They've been a janitor here for 20 years. Right. Um, this, you know, it's like, let's not go and pull some, cherry pick some guy or woman um, or person that doesn't actually know what's going on in the community. Um, it just is mind-blowing to me. It's mind-blowing. Um, if you're going right. to have leaders, leaders have to come from within. Right. We do it in America, right? It's like, it's funny how, like, if we want to talk about someone being a, we want to be like, you've got to be an American. Huh. Huh. Ironic, huh? It's so, it's mind-blowing. It's, yeah, yeah. People just don't connect the dots. Right. Dots are not connected. Dots are not connected. Yeah, so I mean, that's interesting. So th I, I, I brought that line up. Uh, we don't need you uh, because this is, uh, there's an awesome, there's an awesome album that uh, Tom Morello put out, the guitarist from Rage Against the Machine. Okay. At the end of 2018, that is basically just predicting absolutely everything that's happening in the <laughs> Um, but it, one of the tracks on there is a song called We Don't Need You uh, with Vic Mensa as the as the guest. That oh, really? Absolutely check out. Uh, yeah. And I bring this up because uh, this is something I was talking about yesterday with uh, Dr. Stephanie rivera Berruz, uh, who mm -hmm. is uh, uh, going to be one of our guests for our next episode. Uh, yeah! Along, along with uh, Taina Figueroa. Yeah. Uh, so this is uh, this is uh, something you can expect us to uh, continue with them on our next episode. Uh, but 
did you want to uh, leave us with anything before we uh, before we head out for this time? Excited for you guys stopping in and come back next time. We need you. Absolutely. And also, as we're celebrating Juneteenth and Pride at the same time, uh, folks should be watching um, uh, The Daily Show with Trevor Noah this week. They are uh, 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 plugging, encouraging uh, donations to um, organizations that work both with uh, uh, Black communities, uh, BIPOC communities, and LGBTQ plus communities uh, as a way to, to try to forward some of this work as well. Uh, so if you were interested in what we had to talk about here, uh, check out what uh, Trevor Noah is doing on The Daily Show this week. I got one plug also. Uh, um, so we talked about history at this point, at some point in this. Um, and if you want to listen to something that talks, that really dives in um, to Black history, uh, go to Audible and search um, In Search of Black History uh, with Bonnie Greer. Um, so it just got released in the US. It's been released in the UK for, I think, about a year now. Um, it has over 400 reviews. It's almost a five. It's a 4.8 on Audible. Um, but really what it does is it really takes a, a historical view um of um of african heritage right uh it starts way back uh in the middle ages and comes and brings us up to today uh, uh partly i'm saying this i'm on episode five uh talking about anton wilhelm Amo, um and i encourage you to check it out i encourage you to check it out and uh we'll leave james baldwin with the last words for yes. this time the reason you should check it out is because Quote, people are trapped in history and history is trapped in them. <laughs>